come today to a day, Palm Sunday. And history reveals this excitement. When you think of that picture of palm leaves, and we probably should have had some for the kids today, but let me put on the screen that passage from Matthew 21, just to call us back to that. And it says this, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks in the road and cut, other, cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. Now, this picture that we have in our minds a week before the resurrection of Christ, but something was wrong with this crowd. And I don't know if we really realize that. So many of those people putting their coats down, putting branches down, and they didn't understand the real purpose of Jesus. Do you realize that? They were looking for a king. They were hoping that he was going to be a king. But the king was, was really geared toward liberating them from Rome, from the bondage that they were in and all its ills. But Jesus did come to liberate people from bondage. But it wasn't the bondage of Rome. It was the bondage of the fall of Adam and Eve and sin and the self-rule within the hearts of people. Say, these people failed to recognize that Jesus was a Messiah and he had good news, but the news, the good news is really about restoring a broken relationship with the creator of this universe. Now, here's where I don't think we can be too hard on people, on these people. Because I would submit to you that too often we fail to understand and even appreciate the scope of what salvation really is about, the gospel. Uh, Last week I I put a couple statements on the screen. I'm going to throw those up there again. At times I think here's what we default to. When we hear this salvation, the work of Christ on the cross, we we think this way. Well, Jesus died on the cross to keep me out of hell. And that's true. That second one, or Jesus died on the cross to take away the hard things in my life. And he wants to meet us when, when times are hard. But if those two are the extent of our grasp of salvation, I submit to you that we've deflated the importance of Christ's work. Last week, we began a little short series within the gospel of looking at the consequences around salvation. And it's much broader than those two statements. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 last week, and the understanding is that God, now because of salvation, sees us, sees you differently. You know, he, does, he doesn't sit up there and yawn, and when somebody comes to Christ, oh, oh, another one in the fold. That's not God. No, Peter says this from last week. We're living stones. 
We're being built up into a collective spiritual house for a purpose. And the part of that purpose is we become priests, we become a treasured nation, we become God's people that are called to shout out the excellencies of God into this world. You see, we're always saved for something bigger and more dynamic than just going, oh, he died for my, to keep me out of hell. We're called to make God bigger. Some of those songs that, as I was pondering the words, we, 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 we crowd to the world that God means to become bigger. We need to preach the kingdom of God. We need to bless others. We need to share hope. We need to give life. And we do this, if you remember the last week, even to people that are stumbling over Jesus. That text in 1 Peter 2, he's a stumbling stone. People don't, they bump into him, and when they hear the gospel, they come, it's offensive sometimes to people. But here's where we got to go even farther today. I don't know if you realize that the people that were putting those, their coats and the branches down in front of them, they also forgot another piece to the history and the piece to theology and the understanding of what Christ was about. And if you're taking notes, I said it this way. What Israel forgot on Palm Sunday? That Jesus came to this world to acquire a bride. See, the historical Jesus started a process where he was going to raise up a bride. Now, this wasn't a single woman. There's people out there who actually claim that Jesus was married, and you go, no, I don't think so. But this bride is a group of people that he has come to raise up for another purpose. But i got to remind you that this issue of the bride, at times I think, and even for me, for a lot of years, I go, this is just a New Testament concept. But it really isn't. It actually sprinkled through Scripture even in the Old Testament. Let me put Isaiah 54, 5. This imagery of a bride and a bridegroom and a, and a, and a, a wife and a marriage using that is all through the Old Testament. 54, 5, for your maker is your husband. There's the imagery of a marriage there. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. And he is called. Let me put another one from Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest in a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. In the Old Testament, there was this deep understanding that, that there was a bride and a bridegroom. Israel was challenged over and over again. You're my wife. God is saying, the Father and Son and the God, the triune God is saying, I'm the husband. But this idea of marriage and a bride is not, it's broader than I think we think. Matter of fact, John the Baptist even got this. Let me put up on the screen from John 3.25. Here's John, the, an understanding from John the Baptist. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, 
He who, who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all of are going to him. Now understand, they were worried because people were moving away from John the Baptist and beginning to follow Jesus. And his disciples were going, what's wrong with us? Okay. And it goes on here, 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. And you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, kind of almost referring to himself, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. See, John the Baptist realized something. The bridegroom had come. And I think John the Baptist, I think he kind of viewed himself as a matchmaker. If he would have been online, he would have had people, hey, go after the bridegroom. I'm a friend of the groom. I'm here to help raise up the bride. See, God is raising up a bride for his son. Are we captured by that idea? I don't think we emphasize it. And growing up, I never even heard this concept. But not only did John the Baptist see it this way, Jesus himself saw it this way. Look at Matthew chapter 9. And then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast then. See, this, they, they come to him with a question on fasting, and Jesus kind of does a 90 on them. And he says, he, I don't think they get it, but he goes, I'm the groom. I'm the bridegroom standing in front of you. Now, by the way, this exchange is very identical. It is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them record this little exchange, and which implies it's just so important. But Christ is the bridegroom, and he's getting ready for a wedding. But let me dig with some more scriptures. And, and I need to unpack this analogy of this concept of Jesus even pursuing a bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, turn with me there this morning as well. And we're going to go a couple times here, but understand we oftentimes look at this text and where we emphasize it's about husbands loving their wives, the husband-wife relationship. But there is this parallel idea that's really pointing to the idea of that Christ is the groom and that we are the bride if we know him. Look how it reads here. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, 
A man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, the picture of Christ being the bridegroom and all believe who are believing in him are becoming the bride reveals, though, an aspect of the gospel how God is working in people. And it gives us a critical purpose of why salvation takes place. It reveals, in one sense, why the cross had to happen. It reveals the depth, and I think it needs to move far beyond this belief again that Jesus has died to keep me out of hell. This idea of a spiritual marriage, frankly, even corrects bad theology that Jesus is just here to take away the hard stuff in our lives. No, this picture of a spiritual marriage reveals the way that God looks at us. It reveals our identity in Christ. What does this passage reveal? If you're taking notes, I said it this way. Number one, God's heart has always been to restore an intimate relationship with people. That's his purpose of the cross. It's why Easter is here. An intimate relationship. Not just to take our sins away so that we get to heaven. To restore a relationship. Matter of fact, this picture of the marriage, when you fast forward to this intimacy years ahead into eternity, I'm going to put Revelation 19 on the screen for you. Uh, this is a little more complicated day. I recognize that, and I'm kind of bouncing around. But look at Revelation 19 here. After this, this is almost like that Palm Sunday. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of the great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. And look at this, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Out there, a long ways out, hopefully not that long, there is going to be a wedding like no other wedding. See, many people would argue, and I agree, when you think of this picture of marriage, some people say this, and I heard this at a conference probably 10, 15 years ago, the, the very 
purpose of marriage, why God created a man and a woman to come together, is to reflect what God is doing with His bride, with Christ, with His bride, the church. Marriage was made for this bigger issue, this bigger marriage. And we put so much emphasis on an earthly marriage. But it's something more beyond that. See, Revelation 19 is the future wedding of Christ and his bride, the church. But folks, this is about intimacy. Two people becoming one. Christ and the church culminating in oneness. God is inviting people to actually have an intimate relationship with his son. And Israel, that same language. Israel walked away, and the language there is they were the woman who was committing adultery, giving their love to somebody else. See, as the gospel works, it's bringing about a restored intimate relationship with the Son. Now, I do have to point out here from Revelation 19, you'll notice there, the marriage doesn't take place for everyone. This isn't a universal marriage. It says only for those who are being invited to the wedding. Matter of fact, look at Matthew 22. Jesus tells a parable about a king and a wedding, and look how it reads. Matthew 22, 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for a son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. It's referring to Revelation 19. Jesus continuing to remind them that many were invited, but they paid no attention. And they went off and did their own thing. They, they ignored the king's invitation. Now, very pointedly, he's going after the Jews there. And they say the Jews didn't respond, so then I'm going to go to the Gentiles and invite people. But look at how verse 10 reads. And the servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, this is a parable, but it's a picture of what God is doing. He's inviting people to a wedding. Those guests at the wedding are part of the bride. See, God was and is looking for people to become the bride of his son and to come to the wedding. The gospel is an invitation into that kind of an intimate relationship with the Son. And we keep defaulting to believe that a relationship with God is just to keep us out of hell. The work of the gospel must pull us deeply into a love relationship with Him. And it's a depth of love that can fill our souls and give us great meaning and ultimately fulfill the purpose of our lives, to be in Christ. And when we give away the gospel, when we speak the excellencies of God, when we look to bless people, you know what we're doing? We're inviting them into a relationship with the Son that can be characterized by love. Characterized by relational joy, relational satisfaction, relational significance. See, all through these scriptures... This book is revealing a heart to restore the relationship toward intimacy. Remember even when 
the crowds and the disciples and Jesus came and he said you know what this you know what the summary guys of the law is remember what he told them what the purpose of their lives is supposed to be yeah guys it, it's this it's it's to work hard and be successful to have a big house to have nice kids no <laughs> see if you're awake no he, he didn't say that he said, the purpose of your lives is to serve me and obey me. No, he didn't say that either. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. See, loving him and knowing him is the ultimate goal that he's wanting to do in our lives. And transformation is just not knowing about Jesus. It is actually experiencing and knowing his love deep within our souls. The man that hung on the cross is our bridegroom. He died so that we can pursue an intimate relationship with himself. But there's more to this picture. I've got to go farther here. Number two, I said it this way. The Father's desire and the will is to present the bridegroom, Christ, a beautiful wife, not an average wife. Now, some of us guys kind of, because we're talking about for guys, we, we struggle with this idea we're going to be a wife someday. But we've got to get past it. See, spiritual change, discipleship, transformation, growing in our faith is a relational goal. And we can default to define a relationship as obeying the rules, and then we teach our children that. And you go, no, parents, if you're doing that, don't. When you remove an intimate relationship with Christ, we are, we're minimizing what God really did. We're minimizing the profound love of God and the ultimate purpose for us. Uh, hear this, spiritual change without relationship without a growing intimacy, leads only to duty and trying harder. And, and frankly, what it does, it usually morphs into legalism. Let, let me show you, even go farther in Ephesians 5, though. I've got to dig here a little bit more. Look at how it says to make a beautiful wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now look what he's doing, what Christ is doing to present a beautiful bride that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself, that we would be in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. This mystery is profound, I'm saying. It refers to Christ and the church. Do you see what Christ is wanting to do in us? Make us beautiful. He wants us to be a bride that's worthy of the king. You know, in this text, uh, we emphasize husbands' roles here so often. And you know what? It, it's challenging as to even there are efforts. Because too often in poor marriages, the effort... Uh, put in by too many men that I see is to meet their own needs. It really isn't about presenting his wife beautiful in Christ. 
And it kind of goes like this, I'll love you, honey, if you love me first or do something for me. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. You know, that's not the picture here at all. See, I think we fail to appreciate and even apply it to men what Christ is doing here. He doesn't pursue us because we are already beautiful. Do you realize that? Christ is pursuing not a very attractive bride right now. And he's wanting to make us more beautiful. But you you catch the giving nature of what Christ, when you look at those verses, he died on the cross so that we could have a relationship. And he ultimately, the beginning point then is to present to himself a beautiful bride at that wedding. You know, I've, I've done, I don't know, maybe... 30, maybe 40 weddings over the years. And I have yet to to perform a wedding where the bride and the groom didn't care about what they looked like on that day. Anybody here didn't care? Quentin, did you? (laughs) (laughs) But but you look at at brides and and the grooms of what's doing. And it's tanning and makeup and losing weight and spending money on dresses and tuxes and shoes. All with the goal because they want to present to each other on that day. They want to be just right. See, for us, it's the same thing as a church. The Father, the Son, the Spirit is actively getting us ready for relationship and, and I have to admit, it's not fully known or revealed like we can probably experience it one day. He's getting us ready for the wedding. You know, and here's where we connect it to wanting a life that goes smooth. Do we realize that God allows hard things into our lives to get us ready for the wedding? He's chipping away at us, making us more beautiful, allowing us sometimes to struggle. But I think the challenge is this. Parents, here's what I would say. When you disciple your children, do you realize that you are actually preparing them for the great wedding? Have you ever thought of it that way? Not just an earthly wedding. You're preparing them for a union in heaven. That's where discipleship is all about. But frankly, I think too many parents put effort into an earthly wedding. They put more into an earthly wedding than they do the great wedding. Husbands, when you look to present your spouse complete with sacrificial love, do you realize what it's actually doing is preparing your wife for the great wedding, the union that one day is going to be forever with Christ? See, Paul got this. God even uses us to make the bride more beautiful. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, how Paul got this. Uh, Verse 1, I hope I will put up with a little more of my foolishness, so please bear with me. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undevoted, undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. 
See, Paul here even uses this analogy of a marriage and a bride and a, and a groom, and he's saying, guys, don't get tricked into believing a different gospel. He's trying to keep their purity to moving toward being a more beautiful bride. And don't get tempted by Satan and all of this deceitfulness that he's, that's taking place in this world. Remember, you are the bride of Christ, and Christ is your bridegroom. But let me ask you a question. Do you individually see yourself as a bride that is getting ready for the great marriage? See, trying to live a Christian life without moving toward intimacy, that relationship, folks, it'll never be joyful It's not satisfying. An earthly marriage without intimacy is not satisfying. See, but he's inviting us to to even use some of our energy and time to move toward him. Allow him to make us more beautiful. But i got to give you, drive home, even go deeper here, folks. Because there's another picture that's connected to the marriage and the wedding. Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, again, is the night. This is the night before he goes to the, um, to the cross. And in John 17, he prays. At the end of that night, he begins to pray for two groups of people. Earlier in John 17, he prays for the disciples themselves. And then there's a switch in verse 20. And he begins to pray a broader prayer to include us today. I don't know if you've ever realized that. In John 17, 22, he is praying, Father, I pray for Tom Geisler today. I pray for Ron today, for Mary today. He knew your name, and he prayed for you back then at that night. But look at verse 22, how he's praying for future, those that are going to become the bride. John 17, 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one. Again, he's praying to the Father, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory and that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let me fill in the blank for you. Number three. God's intent before time even started was to give his son a gift, which was to be a bride. To say it another way, if you know Christ as Savior, if you've been born again, you are a gift that will become the bride For the Father's Son. Look at verse 24 again. 
Father. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. That phrase, you have given me, you have given me. There is a gift there. But do you see the reason for the gift? The gift is the bride. But the reason for the gift is that last phrase, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Now the depth of this verse, I understand the weight of it, I'm just beginning to understand it myself. But it's this somewhere in eternity past. This love relationship that the Father had with the Son and the Spirit was flowing profusely before any creation started. And before creation started, the Father decided, Son, because I love you, I am going to give you as a gift as an expression of my love, and that gift is going to be a bride. See, the Father loved the Son so much that He was going to give us to Him. Now, there's more theological ramifications here. We don't have time to grapple with them. But does not this concept of the Father giving us to the Son make us valuable and special? And we keep defaulting to thinking like this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I go, no. (laughs) If you're born of the Spirit... A sinner saved by grace is totally inadequate. If you're born again, you are a gift that the Father is giving to His Son. The bride. Let me connect this. i got to connect, make this connection to Ephesians chapter 1. I don't jumping all over. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. This is a verse that a lot of people don't like. I've discovered over the years. Look how it reads. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing blessing in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless and be a beautiful bride for his son. This is what it's saying. Now, I realize this is a bit heavier, but when mankind sin, when they turn their backs on God, God was not going to allow sin and separation to block his plan of giving his son a gift of a bride. And Christ had to go to the cross so we as a bride could be made more beautiful and presentable to the son. And we keep thinking that the cross is about making our lives run smooth. Do we realize and sense the deep love that the Father has for His Son? And He were the gift. This wasn't just deciding to love us then because He took pity on us. No, He showed us mercy for a reason. And why? Because He loves the Son. Jesus, the Father, loves the Son. 
So what we are partaking in is a relational love between the Father and the Son. Look at verse 26 i got to push it just one step farther. And I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, now catch this. I don't know if you catch the implications of what he just saying. That the love that the Father has for the Son that's been going on for all of eternity is exactly... The same, no less, that he has for us. It's identical. Do you understand how much God loves you? He loves his son so much, but the same way he loves us that way. Do you see why when we are in Christ, why we have a new identity? You know what? I was trying to come up with an illustration I mean, not adequate, but my, my son married my daughter-in-law, Jen. And, and I realized that there is a call on my life, on me and Deanna. It's a call on us to love Jen in the same way as my son, no less. And you know why? Because the two have become one. Just like we're becoming one with Christ. See, the Father loves us because we are now with His Son. We are the bride. We're the bride. Do we see this new identity that God wants to give us that we are important to Him and He wants us to become beautiful? He wants a deeper relationship to grow. When engagement comes, when I work with a couple, what I'm hoping for is that they go deeper, deeper, and deeper in their intimacy with each other. And it continues on in a marriage. But that's what God wants with us. But see, once the marriage takes place in Revelation 19, because there's a, there's a, I gotta push it again just a little bit farther. And when heaven and earth comes into existence, when, when all of a sudden heaven is here, do you realize we now will be fully the bride of Christ? And we will, matter of fact, here's how it goes, he brings us into experience the love relationship that's going on between him, the Father and the Son. As the bride be one with Christ, now he brings us into that trinity in terms of the love part of it see the profoundness of eternity is not heaven the other night i was listening to a preacher on tv and he was going oh heaven 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 not one word about relationship into eternity it frustrated me deeply (laughs) we focus on the streets of gold and they're going to be there's going to be a new heaven a new earth But that won't be the most important thing. There's something far greater. We will fully experience the love that the Father has for His Son. And I think we can just taste of it now. But one day, we will be with God because we are the bride of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why the cross. i got to quit. Why? Let me just close with this question. 
why would anyone want to be left out of this reality? Why would one want to stay stubborn and decide, I don't care about God. I don't care about the sun. I don't care about the wedding day. And the realization as I prayed throughout the week, the realization for me that there could be people here today, you've been invited to the wedding, you've been invited to be a part of the bride, and you've never responded. You've been too busy, like the parable that Jesus said. And my... These words to you, don't wait. Don't wait. God is inviting you to the wedding to be a part of the bride for a marriage that you can get to know God in a way like you never will ever understand if you don't know him. Folks, for us that are believers, do you see yourself as a bride? Is important to Christ? He loves us that much, but he's wanting to make us beautiful, to get rid of the garbage in our lives and to grow up in him in such a way that he uses us to even make other people more beautiful, other people that are a part of the bride. That's his desire for us. Let's taste of him this week. Let's stand and pray.